right, well, good morning again. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Some of you saw me walking up here and you already went to Acts, didn't you? You already went to Acts and then that made you take a U-turn. The book of Deuteronomy. I want to talk to you guys this morning. Very grateful for the opportunity. I want to talk with you guys this morning about what I think is a key ingredient for a healthy church, and it is uh, family worship. Family worship. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We need it so desperately, God. The truth of the matter is, Lord, we need it more than we truly even understand. We see it in a shadowy form, like Paul says, a, a mirror that's dim. We, we can't see fully and completely, but we get a glimpse of it when we leave this place and when we, when we go home and your word and the songs and the fellowship has warmed our hearts and our affections towards you. So God, I pray that you do that again today. And Lord, I pray that we remember it is, it is the Lord's day from start to finish. And so, God, it, it doesn't just end when Family Connect ends. Lord, we are called to worship and meditate and to think and to fellowship uh, throughout the day. I pray, God, for the things that will take place later uh, this afternoon, different ministries that take place, God. I'm so grateful, so humbled, so thankful for those that you called to this church body to serve, to not only serve here, but to serve other churches. God, I thank you for Israel this morning being willing to, in a moment's notice, literally in a moment's notice, willing to go and preach. And that's the kind of heart I see, not in just one person, Lord, but in just so many here at Everglades. Lord, you have, you have blessed us tremendously, and so we say thank you. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we first want to say thank you for it, and we also now want to ask for your spirit's help. God, we pray for your spirit's illumination. We need the eyes that only you can give. We need the ears that only you can provide. We need our hearts to be open, to be ready to receive, and God, we definitely as well need you to work in our will to, to want to apply it. And so, Father, this, this passage of Scripture, for some, it may be the first time they've ever really been challenged to think through what it looks like to lead their family in the home, pursuing you with every fiber of their being. And so, Father, I pray that today, if that's an individual that's preparing for marriage or thinking about it in the future or someone that's engaged to be married, married or a family that's already established, maybe a young married couple or a couple with children or maybe like a family like mine with many children, Lord, it doesn't really matter, Father, the situation or circumstance. You have called us to worship you in our homes. So, God, we need the reminder we need the reminder, and I pray, Lord, that you help help us all, myself included, to sit underneath your word 
and repent where we need to repent and move forward in faith where we need to move forward in faith. And finally, Lord, what we definitely need to say is thank you for your grace. I don't think there's any of us here that get this right all the time. But you are kind and you are merciful and you are good. And your steadfast love endures forever for your people. And so, God, this is an evidence, Lord, of that. Whether it's a reminder or a first instruction, we pray for your spirit's help now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to remind you what I said earlier, that a key ingredient for a healthy church is often overlooked. And it's, a, it's an ingredient that we definitely need to recover. And it's the ingredient of worshiping God in our homes. My brothers, I love you. I love being your pastor. I really want to challenge you to think about what I'm saying. What will it look like for you to lead your family in daily worship of God in your home? Hear me say this on the front end. You marking this down and you settling this in your heart is more important than the car that you drive, the job that you have, the degree that's on your wall, and your net worth. I promise you, if you'll be faithful to lead your family in worship, you'll look back one day and you'll thank the Lord for his unbelievable kindness towards you, that you and your wife read the Bible together and that you instructed your children in the admonition of the Lord. If you're in a situation, ladies, where your husband's not there any longer for various reasons, then that wonderful privilege falls upon you to lead as well. So I want you to think about this. This is really God's design. This is God's kindness and goodness and I'm not trying to over exaggerate I promise I'm not trying to be a typical preacher but I am going to say that this is life and death this is the difference between flourishing and struggling but you also need to hear me say that there's no silver bullet there's no formula we are all in the mercy and the grace of the kindness of our God and we should pray often and much and beg and plead that God leads our families and that his word is honored in our homes. And in faith, we need to have confidence in his word that when we honor him, that he honors those that honor him. And we need to lead our families in faith. And even if our children for a season stray and don't follow as closely to the Lord as our heart's desire would be for them to do, we can trust that God's word never returns void. And we can continue to pray and plead and beg for the mercy of God over our children. We have a crisis in our nation. We've talked about this many times, and it's the need for healthy churches. And a healthy church starts, truthfully and honestly, with a healthy home. It's where it starts. I want you to think about this. When we gather together in our homes and we worship the Lord in our homes, it makes the gathering together as a body 
a natural extension of what's happening in the home. And then it works the other way as well. As we worship the Lord here on the Lord's Day, it helps us better worship the Lord in our homes. It all works together. Singles, those of you that are not married yet, teenagers, those of you that have thought about marriage, but it might seem so far off in the distance, I want to encourage you to go ahead and settle in your hearts that you're not going to marry anyone that doesn't make you more, more like Jesus. And ladies, young ladies, you need to go ahead and settle in your heart, please, I beg you, to not marry anybody that's not going to lead you spiritually. It's that important. It's that important. Look with me at the text, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I don't know if I even have ever told you where to go. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 1 and we'll read the first nine verses. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now this is the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that, your Lord, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Go back with me, please, to verse 1. I want you to notice that this call to multi-generational instruction is set in the context of Moses giving a great long sermon. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy, really it's a series of sermons all compiled together. And so Moses is basically instructing or, or preaching, really, to the children of, of Israel. And it's in this this moment in time, we're really picking up, if, if you will, we're, we're picking up kind of in the middle, so to speak, of, of what he's been preaching when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I want you to notice in verse 1 what he says. He says, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. One of the things that I want you to notice from the very beginning is this has to do with God's word. All of this has to do with God's word. What will you do with God's word? He's basically saying. 
You've heard me tell you this. I'm telling you this again. I've given you the statutes. I'm re-giving you the statutes. I've given you the rules. I'm re-giving you the rules. I've given you the principles. I've given you the commands. I've given it all to you, and I'm giving it to you again. Now, I want you to notice, who's the source of this word? It's not Moses, but God. And I know it seems so simple, and I know it seems so obvious, but there are moments where we need to state the simple, and we need to state the obvious. Moses has not come up with a strategy of ten ways to beat that all the enemies of Israel when they go into the promised land. He's not looking at the pop culture of the day. He's not listening to psychology. He's not listening to any of those things. He's giving them what God had given them. He's just simply giving them God's word. And one of the things that this does is it reminds the people and it establishes for the people that God is the authority. As great as Moses was, And as great of a leader as Moses was, I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to Moses' life as laid out for us in the first five books of the Bible. It's interesting how Moses was such an amazing leader. But what made him an amazing leader was not the fact that he had been educated as an Egyptian. It was not... The fact that he had gifts, talents, and abilities, what made him an amazing leader was the fact that he loved the Lord and he walked with him tightly. If you went to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, you would read in that verse that it says that Moses was the most meek man on the face of the earth. What a statement. What a commentary on this man's life. Very humble. All the authority and all the power did not go to his head. It wasn't about him. Now, he did have a moment, as we all know, where he got very frustrated with the children of Israel. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock, and that kept him out of the promised land. But he has clay feet like we do, amen? But I want you to understand that this meek, this humble, this amazing spiritual leader was not leading in his own wisdom or in his own strength or in his own power, but he was leading God's people to follow God's word. That's a very, very important dot to connect. His responsibility was very simple. Teach God's word to God's people. He was a man of authority, but he was a man under authority. And the spiritual health of the nation of Israel depended on him sharing the truth, the people embracing the truth, and walking in it. Now look with me at the second part of verse 1. So they have been given these commands, these rules, and these statutes. Now notice what they were to do. They were to do them. The verse says that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess. We could sum this up very simply. They were to hear and obey. They were to hear and do. 
they were to hear and to apply. It almost reminds me, Stephen Romig, of James. Isn't it interesting the themes of Scripture never change? Stephen's taught us, has he not? When James says, don't be a hearer of the word only, but also a doer. That's what Moses is basically telling the people of Israel. I've told you, I'm telling you again, that you need to hear and you also need to obey. We see the same thing in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Pastor Jim, if we were to look at Israel's greatest problem over and over and over again, and we can probably relate, their greatest problem tended to be the fact that they often heard, but they didn't often obey. And in fact, when you look at their lives and you look at the spiritual unfaithfulness and you look at how they, they fell into all of, the, all of the sin and rebellion against the Lord, it always had to do with what they did with God's word. Always. And that's why Moses is saying here, I want you to hear, O Israel, and I want you to do. Now look back at the verse. Where are they going? I want you to hear and I want you to do in this land, this promised land, this, this land that I've promised Abraham, this land that I've promised Isaac, this land that I've promised Jacob, this place that you're going that's flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. I'm going to lead you there. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to guide you there. I'm going to provide for you there. I'm going to care for you there. And what you need to do while you're there is to hear and obey. So simple, is it not? What was this land like? What was this land like? Well, physically, I just mentioned it. It was land flowing with milk and honey. It was a, a good land. They weren't going to have to build houses. They weren't going to have to dig cisterns. They weren't going to have to dig wells. They weren't going to have to plant crops. They weren't going to have to do any of that. They were going to inherit all of the hard work that everyone had done before them. God says that if you continue to read in Deuteronomy, you're going to inherit the, the benefit of the goodness of the land. That was physically. What about spiritually? Well, we need to understand that this land that they were going into was a pagan land. It was a land that was filled with lots of idolatry. It was a land that was filled with what's called polytheism, the, the worship of many different gods. It was a spiritually dark place. It was a place where God was not honored at all. In fact, you could read about some of these peoples that inhabited the land, and one of the things that they did is they offered their children to a god named Molech in human sacrifice. It's hard to wrap our minds around that, isn't it? That someone would take a precious baby and sacrifice that baby all because they're believing a lie to a god that's not real and to a god that does not exist. That was a common practice in this pagan land. Pastor Eric, I couldn't help but think about our land. I couldn't help but think about our nation. I couldn't help but think about the fact that we have on our license plates, in God we trust. We have on our money, in God we trust. But my brothers and my sisters, 
truthfully, we are a nation that have become hearers and not doers. In fact, we could also say that in many of our churches, we are a, a people that are hearers and not doers. May I dare go one step further, Pastor Eric, and say that sadly the state of preaching in our nation has gotten to the point where in many of the places where people congregate to quote-unquote worship God, they're not even hearing the word of God. I don't know if you're smelling what I'm cooking, but we are living in a sad state of affairs in America. We are outright a pagan nation. We don't sacrifice our children to the God of Molech, but we abort our children for convenience. We live in a day where we've redefined marriage to suit what our culture says we should believe. We live in a day where we are identifying as various different things, not only as differing genders, but we also now are living in a day where it's becoming more prominent, if you haven't noticed, where people are also identifying as animals. Not to mention the fact of homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism and all the different things that are raging in our culture. My brothers and my sisters, I'm calling you to wake up. I'm calling you to pay attention. I'm calling you to notice we are in a pagan nation. We are up to our eyeballs in paganism. Our day is not much different than the day of the children of Israel when they're standing on the plains of Moab, Jim, and they're hearing what Moses is saying. And he's saying, I'm telling you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you when you go into this land, do not forget the Lord and do not forget his word. It's the difference for you between life and death. The same is true for us today. But we take it so lightly. And we don't take it serious. And we're a nation of hearers and not doers. It's really, really sad. Look back at the text. Notice what it says in verse 2. When you go into this land, you're going to take the word of God with you. God's going to give you this land. Verse 2, when you take the word with you and you're listening and hearing and doing, that's when you're fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord looks like submission to God's ways and God's wills and God's will and God's commands and God's precepts. Look back at verse 2. Notice the multi-generational instruction that's there. How far does this go? Look at verse 2. And we could string this out forever, but he cuts it off at three generations. You, your son, and your son's son. You need to hear the word and do the word yourself first. Don't be the mom, don't be the dad that says, do what I say, but don't do as I do. Moses is saying it starts with you. Single, it starts with you. Teenager, it starts with you. Put off the cultural notion, teenager and college student, that somehow, some way, you can get serious about God later. My brothers and my sisters, my young brothers and my young sisters, tomorrow may never come. Today is the day of salvation, and today is the day to get serious about the Lord. Today is the day to respond to what Moses is saying and he is saying, it starts with you. It's an interesting thing. 
Don't buy the lie. Your children will never follow what you say, only they'll follow what you do. It's the old saying that your actions speak louder than words. Do we, do we need to use words? Absolutely. <laughs> Moses is using words here. Spoken and now written. But we need to make sure that we're matching our life with our lips and our words match our walk. And that's what Moses is saying here. He's saying it starts with you and then you take the faith and you pass it on to the next generation. And you pass it on again to the next generation. You grandparents. Those of you that are grandparents. You are so blessed. You have change in your pocket that us parents don't have. I could tell my kids the sky is blue. And they're going to say, no, daddy, it's green. I can say, no, 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 the sky is blue. And they're going to be like, no, 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 daddy, the sky is green. But you as a grandparent, you could tell that grandkid the sky is green. And they're going to be like, yep, you're right. I'm with you. I believe you. That's a silly illustration. But what I'm trying to communicate is God has given a love for kids by their grandparents and grandparents for their grandkids that's very, very unique and special. And you have an opportunity, and I pray that you don't waste the opportunity that you've, given, you've been given. And I pray that you use it to leverage the future generations before the throne of God and pray them into the kingdom and pray them into the family of God and to invest the word of God into them. You can speak into the lives of your grandkids in ways that parents never could. That's what I'm trying to explain, though very poorly. Now look back at the text. Notice what it says, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. That word keeping, it's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to keep, to watch, to guard. This is the Hebrew word, by the way, that was used in the Garden of Eden when Adam was given the responsibility to keep the garden. He was to keep it. He was to tend it. He was to protect it. He was to guard it with his life. And when that old sneaky snake came slithering into the garden, Pastor Jim, if Adam understood what he was supposed to do, he should have stepped on the head of that snake right there and put, the, put it to death. But he didn't guard. He didn't keep. He didn't tend. And we're all feeling the effects of that today. You say, well, what does that have to do with family instruction and family worship? It has everything to do with it. My brothers and my sisters don't. Go to sleep at the will. Guard family worship. Protect family worship. Protect family instruction. You need to understand that family worship is not homeschooling. Homeschooling is great and there's a place for that. Family worship is not education in a Christian school. That's good and there's a place for that. 
family worship is not coming to church on the Lord's Day and hearing the sermon and hearing a, a lesson at youth or at keepers or any other avenue. Those things are good and they have their place. Multi-generational instruction, what I'm advocating for and calling you to, is a unique and specific thing outside of those things. It's an addition to those things. My brother, it's when you are guarding and keeping the soul of your wife. You're guarding and keeping the soul of your child. You're guarding and keeping the souls of the generations that are going to come after you. I'm telling you, there's nothing more important in all the world than that. The Bible said it. Jesus was very clear. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Nothing else matters. Guard it, keep it, tend it, protect it. Make it a non-negotiable in your home. My brothers, you are the leader. <laughs> you're the husband. You're the father. Lead. Guard, tend, protect. Die for it. Defend it. Now notice the verse. Look what the text says. You're keeping, you're guarding, you're protecting the word of God so you're not losing it in your family. You're not losing it in the promised land. And the next question is, well, how long am I supposed to do this? Well, the verse answers the question. Notice what it says. How long? All the days of your life. My brothers, you should be praying for your wife and with your wife. How long? Till death do you part. My brothers, you should be praying for your children and with your children. How long? Till death do you part. My sisters, you should be praying for your children and with your children. How long? Until death do you part. You should be praying with your grandchildren. You should be praying together. You should be in the word together. How long? Till the ends of your days. This is a privilege. This is an honor. Oh, Pastor Jim, what an opportunity we have to impact the nations. My family originates from Scotland. You can't tell it anymore, but there was a time when I had red hair. Now it's all white. It ain't even gray. Funny story. Side note, one of the kids we were going to have one time, we were talking about, I wonder what color hair they're going to have. My red hair was long gone by then. Pastor Eric and one of the kids said, well, Daddy, maybe they'll have gray hair like you. I'm like, it don't work that way. <laughs> well, that passion that I have where it looks like my face is going to explode and my veins stick out, it comes because of who I am as a Scottish person. <laughs> you know anything about us, you know we bleed passion. We might be up there with the Cubans, Emilio, I don't know. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise, I got sidetracked. One of the things that my family did in just unbelievable wisdom, I had a great aunt that traced out our family tree on my mom's side. And I was thinking about family worship a couple of months ago, and I was really grinding on it, just thinking on it. I'm doing a lot of repenting myself, and I asked my mom, hey, mom, do you remember that book, that book where it traced out our family lineage? It went all the way back to the 1700s pretty awesome all the way back to scotland and then we we came over to america my family immigrated to north carolina i'm from the eastern part of north carolina 
And uh, there was a huge Scottish population of immigrants in that part of the state of North Carolina. And so it started in, in Scotland and then traced our family history in North Carolina as well. But anyway, my question was this. Mom, did we have any pastors? Because we were Scottish Presbyterians. If you know anything about Scottish Presbyterians, then you know they believed in family worship. And she said, I don't know, let me do some digging. And so we were home over Thanksgiving break. I went to see my family, and my mom and I got to talking about that again. And she said, Doug, I found several pastors in our family line. And I thought, there it is. There it is. There it is, Pastor Eric. Some faithful brother, some faithful sister had been praying for my family. For the generations that they would never see. So this, this concept of all the days of your life. Let me ask you how important are the souls of your children? How important are the souls of those that are going to come after you? Are you willing to do the hard work of prayer? Are you willing to do the hard work of being disciplined? Are you willing to lead your family in, in worship? Notice verse 4. This is called the Shema. It's basically where Moses is helping the children of Israel in a very simplistic way. It's where Moses is helping the children of Israel understand that they're going into a polytheistic nation, but there's only one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now notice, because of who God is, notice the call to action in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart the inner part of who you are every fiber of your being you're to love the lord with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your might or your strength every fiber of your being should be about pursuing christ and god verse six and these words that i command to you today mr bill notice where should they be on your heart my brothers and sisters may i remind you you talk about what's on your heart because you talk about what you love there's a reason why it says what it says that these words that i command you today need to be pressed down deep inside of you jesus talks about this in mark 7 that what's on the inside comes out on the outside and if you want to lead your family Spiritually, it's first got to be inside of you. So hear me say this very clearly, my brothers and my sisters. You must be born again. You can't lead anybody to where you've never been. This is not about morally improving your life. This is not about becoming a good person. This is about becoming a new person in Christ. You must be born again. God's word has to be implanted in your heart. Then you come to faith in Christ. And then the evidence of that is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. It's got to be inside of you. It's worth asking this morning if it's inside of you, if you've had a genuine heart change, if you've genuinely been born again. If you haven't, you can. <laughs> the Bible says to respond to the gospel through repentance and faith. And you'll be converted. Now I want you to look with me at verse 7. 
Notice what Moses says next. You shall teach them. What's the them? That's God's word. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Thought about this. You know what's interesting about this command? This command comes when there's a priestly line. You ever thought about that? This command is given to brothers. There's already a priestly line. There are already Levites. There are already people ministering in the tabernacle and offering sacrifices and all of those things. This command to teach their children also comes within the framework and the context of their elders in Israel. They're already making decisions. You say, well, big deal, so what? What does all that mean? I'm not a priest and I'm not an elder. Like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. This isn't the job for the professional. It's the job for everyone. God is saying the priests have a role, the elders have a role, and mom and dad, you have a role. My brothers, you are to lead your families. And I love what it says in verse 7 when it says that you shall teach them diligently. This is a moment where the English doesn't do justice to the Hebrew. This word is only used once in the Hebrew Bible. And it literally means to wet or to sharpen. Not W-E-T, but if you're familiar with knives, W-H-E-T. There's a difference. If you know anything about knives, you know that you can use a wet stone to sharpen a knife. Now Moses isn't saying you need to go around and rub a stone on your kid's head and then they'll really love Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's giving a word picture, an illustration that people like us can understand. If you've ever used a whetstone to sharpen a knife, you know it doesn't take one stroke. You know it doesn't take one time. It's not I'm going to give it a lick here and give it a lick here and then I'm going to move on. No, you stand there for a while. Sharpen, 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 sharpen. And we all know that a sharp knife cuts best. You say, well, what is Moses saying? Here's what he's saying. Through the repetition of teaching God's word to your children and to your spouse, you're sharpening them for the Lord. That's what he's saying. Let me use a different illustration. Those of you that love snowbirds. You ever been in that creek down there by Snowbird and picked out one of them smooth stones? You ever thought about that smooth stone that you picked out? You ever wondered why it got so smooth? From hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of water running over those stones. I mean, you could pick one of those rocks up off the gravel road and throw it into the creek and then go back at the end of the week. And you know what? When you fish it out, you know what's going to happen? It's going to look pretty much the same way that it did that you threw it in. It's going to be wet instead of dry. But it's different when time has run over that rock over time, over and over and over again. Times where the water was low because of a lack of rain. Times where the water was high because of an abundance of rain. Over and over and over again, that water wears down that jagged stone and makes it smooth. My brothers and my sisters, do you hear what I'm trying to say it's through the faithful teaching of the word to your family that your family is changed by the word of God. 
It can't be just once. It can't be just twice. You can't just start and stop and say it didn't work. Keep on going. Keep on trucking. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't back down. Keep on keeping on. God will bless your faithfulness. I heard an unbelievable story this week by Joel Beakey where he was saying that one of his nieces came to faith in Christ a little bit later in her life. But she had been raised up in a family that practiced family worship. But she strayed from the things of God and she didn't walk in the ways of God. She came to faith in Christ later. But all those deposits had been made. All those prayers had been made. All that Bible reading had been made and done. And all that teaching had been done. And she said when she came to faith in Christ, it all came flooding, Pastor Jim, back to her soul and it began to bear fruit. My brothers and my sisters, don't walk in unbelief, walk in faith. God's word won't return void. It always accomplishes what he set out for it to accomplish. Let me give you a couple of applications. We're out of time. Number one, God's word must be in our hearts. God's word must be in our hearts. If you're not in the faith, you need to come to faith in Christ. It's that simple. Really what Moses is doing here is he's calling the people to repent. and That's what you need to do if you don't know Christ. But brother and sister, if you are in the faith, hear me say this. It just doesn't stop there. Are you reading the Bible on your own? Are you memorizing scripture? Are you thinking about scripture? Are you meditating scripture? Are you talking about it? Think about what we read as you're walking, as you're sitting, as you're lying down. Moses uses a lot of different words to encompass every fabric and every part of life should be about the things of God. It's important. Number two, I want to encourage you to be intentional. Be intentional. Carve out a time. I talked about this already, but be intentional. It's a must. It's a non-negotiable. Listen, the Puritans, the Puritans held this so, they valued this so much that when a young couple was going to get married, the pastors of the church, the elders of the church would go over to their house or get them together, rather, before they were married, and teach them how to do family worship. And then after they were married, at some point in time, they would go over to their house to see how they were doing in practicing family worship. Why? Because they knew that the health of the nation and the health of the church and the health of the family hinged upon what they did with God's word. Be intentional. Number three, I've mentioned this already, but I'm going to mention it again. Repent and move forward in faith. Hear me say this. If you struggle in this, you're not rowing that boat alone. I promise. <laughs> I promise. I promise. My brothers, we have to reject passivity. We have to reject passivity. And we have to be active. And we need God's spirit to help us do that. And we struggle. Ladies. One of the best things you can do is pray for your husband to lead. And my brothers, I promise you, a woman that loves the Lord wants to be led. So lead. And then 
I mentioned this already, but I want to say it again. Be faithful until death. Be faithful unto death. Joel Beakey said this, and we'll close, and I'll pray. He said, when we lead our family in worship, we are leading them into the presence of the King of Kings. You ever thought about that? What an amazing thought that when we gather together in our homes and we're reading the Bible together and we're praying together and singing together and making this an important part of our families, we're in the presence of our King. Pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for your word. God, there's so much that needs to be said. And Lord, I pray that you take what was said and it bears fruit that will remain. God, I pray for our church family that, God, we will mark it down, set it down, make it a non-negotiable as families to practice family worship. There's never, ever, ever a, a shortage of distractions or excuses. God, help us lay those down at the feet of King Jesus and pick up our Bibles and read with our families. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.